So Acts chapter 1, you guys remember again last week, last week we left off there in, uh, in verse 14. And really there's a lot of meat to go through here in the, in the, in the book of Acts. You know, I was telling Liz last time, I was like, man, there's just so much. You know, and I don't want to rush through anything. You know, if, if it takes us, you know, however long it takes us just to go through one chapter, that's fine with me. Because I don't want to, I, I want to be a careful student of God's word. And I want to be a careful teacher of God's word. And, and I don't want to cheat you guys out of anything. You know, that, that, that the Lord is, is desiring to, to, to teach you guys and to teach myself as well. So as we're just going to continue going on through the, through the book of Acts. If you guys remember, last week we studied about, about those two promises that, that the Lord gave the, the disciples there as they're, as they're waiting. He told them two things. He says, he says, wait until you are endued with power from on high. Then he talks about that gift of the Holy Spirit, that coming upon the Holy Spirit that, that the Father was going to give them as they, as they tarried there in Jerusalem. Number one. And number two, that promise of Jesus coming back. As when the, when the Lord ascended up into heaven, if you guys remember that there was, it says there that, that there was uh, two men in white, that there was two men in white there, and that they told the disciples, hey, what are you guys looking at? You know, the same Jesus who, who, who ascended is going to descend, you know, eventually. And so we, we have two promises there. One, the promise of the, of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this, this new dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers, in the life of the, of the disciples. And then the promise of the, of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we mentioned last week, that, that, there, that what the angel was talking about was the second coming of Christ, not to be mistaken with the rapture of the church. Both are two separate events. Remember, the, the rapture of the church, Jesus comes back, but he doesn't touch the earth. He stays in the clouds in the air, and the Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians that we're going to go up and we're going to meet him in the air. Then the second coming of Christ is when he comes down back into the Mount of Olives where he ascended from. His feet actually touch the Mount of Olives. You know, and then that's where the, where the second coming takes place. And so now we read now to uh, verse 15. As the, as, the, as the disciples are there waiting in the, in, in the upper room there in Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're waiting as the Lord directed them. They said, Terry, he said, wait here until you are in due with power from on high. And as they're waiting, the Bible tells us that they were in one accord, that they were prayerful, and that uh, it was, it was, uh, it gives us a little list of, of some of the disciples there in the previous verses. It says that Peter was there, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of, the son of James, Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And so we're going to continue reading on here in verse 15 as they're, as they're there waiting Verse 15 says this. I'll read from verses 15 to 20. It says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the, the, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, or all his guts came out. And it says, And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and then Peter quotes Psalms there, it says, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. So we see here, as the, as the disciples are still there waiting in Jerusalem, waiting in the upper room, all of a sudden that, that, that Peter stands up, you know, and he, he declares these, these things. You know, so, so we see Peter really just taking the lead, you know, he's taking, and, and really he was, he was a, a leader in the early church. 
And we see him just naturally, he was a natural leader. And you see him just rise up and pretty much just, just, just take the bull by the horns. And, and he's taking the lead. You know, so, so Peter was a leader and, and he played a, an important role in the early church. You know, and really what, what's, what's happening here is that he's living up to, to Jesus' admonition to him. Back there in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. if you guys remember when, when, when Peter said, Hey, Lord, I'll never deny you. These guys will forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. And Jesus tells him, Hey, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And, and when you are strengthened, when, when, you, and when, you're, when you return, it says, Strengthen your brethren. And so really what we see is Peter just living up to, 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 to the Lord's admonition of him, of him strengthening the brethren. You know, and we see that he was always called to, to be this leader in the, early, in the early church. And so he was a leader in the early church in the, in the first century, but he was not the first pope like, like many people teach. You know. As a matter of fact, um, Constantine, who was actually the one who merged the Roman Empire with the, with the church, didn't even come onto the scene until like 200 years after this takes place. So there's no way Peter could have been the, the first pope. He would have been dead by now. But we know that there's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, people that, that, that teach that, that Peter was the first pope. No doubt he was, the first, he was a, a leader and he, he played a significant role in the early church. But he was not the first pope. But he was, a, he was a, an effective leader and an important leader and, and he had an important role in, in, the, in the early church. And so Peter, Peter stands up with boldness, you know, and he's taking the lead. And he goes on to say, you know, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. He's letting them know, he's, he's assuring them, hey, this had to happen. And no doubt they're there just waiting. I'm sure they still have a lot of questions. The only thing the Lord told them was, hey, tarry here until you, you are endued with power from on high. As they're praying, as they're waiting on the Lord, I could just imagine all things that are going through their mind. You know, and Peter just stands up and I'm sure he's just addressing something that's been on everyone's mind. What about Judas? You know, and, he, and so he, he assures them, hey, that the scripture had to be fulfilled. So we see that Peter points to the Old Testament to confirm what took place there in the New and, and in this, we see the, the, importance, of, uh, the importance of studying the Old Testament. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of preachers out there, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, churches who will say that, that hey, well, why, why even read the Old Testament? Why study the Old Testament? That's the Old Covenant. It has nothing to do with the church. You know, we're, 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 we're under the New Covenant. We're under the New Testament. That has nothing to do with us. Not true. That's not true. As we see the dirty church, all the scriptures that, that they had was the Old Testament. Jesus, as he, as he opened up the scriptures, what he had was the Old Testament. The disciples, the Apostle Paul, as he ministered there in Rome and Ephesus and Philippi and, and Thessalonica and all these cities. What, what, what he used in order to, to bring people to Christ was the Old Testament scriptures. And we see that, 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 that the old is a complementary to the new. And the new is a complementary to the old. And as I've said it before, the, the best commentary... For the Old Testament is the New Testament, and the best commentary for the for the New Testament is the Old Testament, but vice versa. So we see that 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 in reality the whole Bible talks about Jesus, and and without the Old Testament we wouldn't know about these New Testament New Testament promises. Without the Old Testament we wouldn't know anything about salvation by, by grace alone through through faith alone. As you guys are, are studying with us on, on Wednesday nights, you know we're reading about 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 uh, uh, Adam and Eve who who, who, were, who were clothed, you know, as soon as they sinned. And we saw how that's a picture of, of, the, of the clothing of the righteousness of Christ when he died on the cross. And then we saw about Noah, how he was saved by grace, how he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and how the Lord had favor on him. And, you know, and Hebrews tells us that he was saved by faith. So we see again that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they complement one another and, and they're equally as important. That's why you know, us as, as a Calvary Chapel Church, we make it an emphasis to, to study both the Old and the New. 
the whole counsel of God's word. And I'm reminded of what, of, of what Paul told the, the elders there. I believe it's in the last chapter of, of Romans. I think it's Romans 24 or something around there. But he goes on to say, I have not, I have not shunned away from, from declaring to you, from teaching you the whole counsel of God's word. That's what he said. So we see, in, in, order for, in order for him to have said that, he would have had to, to teach every single scripture. And that's my heart. And, you know, and, and that's, that's my vision. That's my vision for, for the ministry is that, is that I would not shun to, to, to declare to you guys the whole counsel of God's word, both Old Testament and New. So again, we see that, that Peter, he points to the Old Testament to, to justify what's, what's, to explain what's, what's, what, what happened there with Judas. And we see that 2 Timothy 3.16 actually tells us, Paul says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for, for reproof, for correction, for doctrine. He goes on to say that the man of God may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So Paul himself says that, that all scripture is profitable and is, and is inspired by God. Every single one of it. So we see that the, that the Old Testament you know, is, is a foreshadowing of the things that were going to happen in the New Testament. Now we see that, that Peter is now operating in a new dynamic. I mean, he's a different Peter. As, as we read from, from this point on and we read about Peter's life, he's a completely different disciple than he was there in the, there in the Gospels. You know, I mean, he's still himself. You, know, you still see a little bit of his character come out. You know, like, like when, he, when, he, when he chickens out and, then, uh, and, 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 and he pretends to, to not be eating with the Gentiles when all the Jews shows up. I mean, we still see a little bit of, of Peter's character there. It's still the same guy. But he's operating now under a different dynamic. Why? Because now he has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. As you guys remember there in uh, John chapter 20, it says that, that, that Jesus breathed on the disciples and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So now they have the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At this point yet, they have not received yet the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they do have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we see Peter just, again, just with boldness take it, take, uh, taking the lead and, and taking this role of the leader there in the, or in the early church and say, hey guys, he's speaking to about 120 people. That's what it says right there. That it was about 120 there in the upper room. He says, hey, and he's pretty much just addressing the elephant in the room. He says, this had to happen. He goes to the Old Testament and he, remind, he, he reminds him that, that, that the Old Testament spoke of this concerning Judas. So we see that, that again, that, that Peter now is operating under a new dynamic. You know, he now has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. And the ministry that Jesus uh, told him about, about there in John 14 is, is, is in effect. Remember, remember there in John 14, 26, actually, Jesus was telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say in John 14, 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So I don't doubt that, that, that maybe the, the, the Lord, while He was there with them those 40 days, maybe He brought up these songs, maybe He brought up these Old Testament scriptures to them. And Peter, as they're there praying, man, the Holy Spirit brought it to, brought it to His remembrance. He's addressing everybody. Hey, guys, remember what the Lord said. This had to happen. So we see again the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in, in Peter's life already before he was even baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, so he, we see that he is recognizing from the scripture that somebody needs to take Judas's place within the 12. So he's, 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 he's addressing something that, that, that needs to happen there. You know, which he's, he's recognizing according to the scriptures, you know, the, the, somebody needs to take the, the place of Judas. You know, the, the Lord appointed 12 of us. You know, one's gone because he betrayed, he betrayed the Lord, but it was meant to happen. But somebody needs to take his place. So from the scriptures, he's addressing that, that somebody needs to, needs to take this, this empty office of the 12th apostle. 
And we see there in verse 18, as he's describing, you know, what, what happened to Judas. He says, now this man, talking about Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his guts fell out. All his entrails gushed out. So in him talking about Judas, the question comes out. The question comes up. How did Judas die? You know, and this, this, is, this is one of the things that, that the Bible critics use you know, to criticize the Bible, to try to disprove the Bible and say, hey, the Bible contradicts itself because elsewhere in the Bible, it says that he hung himself. Now, Luke here in, in, the, in the book of Acts is recording what Peter said. And Peter is saying that, that, that he purchased a field, that Judas purchased a field, and that he fell, and that, and that his, all his angels gushed out. So which one is it? You know, did, did Judas go and hang himself? Or did he purchase a field and fall in the field and, 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 and get ripped open? Again, critics of the Bible love to, to, to use verses like this and instances like this to discredit the Bible, to say, hey, the Bible is contradictory, you know, it, it can't be trusted. So we see again here in the Acts, it tells us that he purchased a field and fell in it. Now, Matthew 27, verse 5, talking about Peter, after, after he, I mean, talking about Judas, after he had, uh, he had betrayed the Lord, there in Matthew 27, 5, it says that, 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 that Peter, that Judas returned. It says that he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So that he was so guilty. He says, I, be, I betrayed innocent blood. And, and the, the elders, the Pharisees pretty much say, hey, well, that's your, that's your business. That's not ours. You, you did it. And so it says that he, that he threw the money down. He ran out and he hung himself. So what's, which one is it? We see that, that both are correct. Matthew 27, 7 says that the chief priests and the elders used the silver to buy a potter's field. Now Judas hung himself, and it's believed that as he hung himself, that, that his body was loosened, whether the branch broke or, where, or whether he was just there for a few days, and eventually his body started decomposing, and, 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 it, and it separated from the rope. But, it's, but we see here that, that Judas hung himself, his body was loosened somewhere, it fell, and as it fell into his potter's field, it burst open. And we see, it, 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 it's not two verses contradicting each other, but it's just two sides to the same story. You know, like if we have a car accident here, and you know, I remember a couple years ago, I, I was on the freeway, and I saw, I saw this guy on a motorcycle get ran over by an 18-wheeler. You know, I remember I was riding back behind him. You know, there was cars all, cars all around us. I remember when the cops came, you know, they took my, my, my statement, they took my, my, my passenger's statement, my, my, my uh, co-worker, and then they took all the other cars. And then a few months later, they hit us up. The insurance company hit us up. And they're like, hey, a few months ago, you said this, this and that. And then uh, they asked me again what had happened, you know. And, I, and as I'm talking to the, to the insurance guy, he's telling me what everyone else said. I just thought, oh, that's crazy because it sounds like everyone has a different story. But really, you know, what they're, what's happening is that they're telling their story from their point of view, you know. And, and they're, they're, they're pointing out things that stood out to them. For me, I was right behind them, so... I, I, I chose to point out certain things that I saw. You know, my coworker, you know, he saw, he saw, he was focusing on something else, you know, and, and, and the drivers around us were focusing on something else. Now, if you take all, all the stories, you might think, oh, well, they contradict each other. It, it couldn't have happened this way. But when you put them all together, you see that it happened exactly the way they all said it, you know, but it's just different, different viewpoints. Same thing with, 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 the, with the death of Judas. It, he both hung himself, and as he hung himself, I believe that his body fell and burst open. No big deal. No, 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 con no contradictions there. Score one for the Bible. <laughs> so, 
with, with, with this, you know, mentioning about, about Judas, you know, and, and, and him hanging himself, we see that, that he committed suicide. You know, uh, for, for obvious reasons, I, I, feel, it, I feel it necessary to, to bring up the, the, this, this whole thing about committing suicide. You know, we see that, that, again, death by suicide. You know, some people think, you know, it's the unpardonable sin. If you commit suicide, you're going straight to hell. You know, that's the one thing God's never going to forgive. And really, what it is, it, it's, a, it's a Catholic teaching. You know, the Catholics teach that if you commit suicide, that, 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 that they're committing a, a sin directly against God, and that, and that it's unpardonable, that there's no, there's no forgiveness for that. Now, the Bible talks about, as far as I know, in my head, there could be more, but I could think of at least seven guys in the Bible who committed suicide. Abimelech, uh, Hithophel, Saul, as you guys remember, Saul, when he was there in battle, says that he was wounded and that he put his sword down and he fell on his sword on purpose to kill himself. And after he did that, his armor bearer did the same thing. That's four guys. Abimelech, Ahithophel, Saul, the, the, Saul's armor bearer. This guy, Zimri, which is one of the kings. We see that, that, that uh, uh, the, Samson, there, there in the book of Judges, committed suicide. There at the end of his life, and I believe it's in Judges chapter 16, where it talks about the life of Samson, it says that, that you know, he was already blind, he was already under custody from the, from the Philistines, and then he actually prayed to the Lord. And he said, Lord, strengthen me just one more time so that, so that I could take out more guys you know, right now than I did in my lifetime. And the Lord honors it, and the Lord blesses him with that strength, you know, knowing what he was going to do. And, then he, and Samson even says that there in Judges chapter 16, he says that I may die with them. And, and the, Lord, the, Lord, the Lord blesses him with his extra strength, so it says that, that he went to where the, where the both where the biggest pillars were in the temple. He pushed against them, and that pretty much you know it collapsed on itself. So we have Abimelech, Ahithophel, Saul, the Saul servant, Zimri. Then the Old Testament, I forgot which one of the kings he was. Uh, Samson, and now Judas. So we see that that, that that there's various instances of this of this uh, of, of people committing suicide in the in the Bible. Some are not in favorable, favorable light. Some are in favorable light. Some the Bible says nothing else besides that. But the question is, hey, is, is suicide the, uh, the unforgivable sin? Is suicide the unpardonable sin? And we'll see the, that the Bible teaches no. The, the Bible teaches that, that, that no, it's not. I mean, in fact, as, as you're seeing, as, as I mentioned, Samson, I mean, the Lord blessed Samson with that strength. And not only that, but Samson, Samson is mentioned again there in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And there's nothing bad said about, about Samson, but he's mentioned alongside with Noah, with Abraham, with Elijah, with all these heroes of the faith. The Bible mentions Samson, you know, and, and, and it, mentioned, it mentions him in favorable light. You know, and again, for, for obvious reasons, I feel it necessary to bring this up because there's always that confusion. You know, and I remember when, when my brother committed suicide, and, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not I'm not trying to you know, promote it or anything, or I'm not trying to defend it just because I had a family member who committed suicide. I mean, but this is just what the Bible teaches. You know, I, 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 I try to teach the Bible with no prejudice of my own, not thinking because I went through something or because I know people who went through something. That, that's just what the Bible, I could just tell you what the Bible says, and you, you make an informed decision. If I remember when, when, uh, when my brother committed suicide, there was a, a, you know, a Christian lady who was, was there at the house, and she, I heard her talking to my mom, and I was in my room, and I remember she was comforting my mom, you know, like I say it like this, comforting because it wasn't much comfort. But my mom was there crying. And I'm at the end of the room, I could hear what's going on, you know, I didn't want to go out there. And I remember this lady, you know, like two days after my brother had committed suicide, she's there in the house with my mom 
trying to comfort her or whatever. And she she says, she's like, she, she plain out just says, you know, you know God's not going to forgive him, right? You know God doesn't forgive people when they commit suicide. And I, man, I, I was in the other room and I felt like going over there and just punching this lady in the face. Saying, or, you know, saying, how could you be so, so unkind? How could you be so, so, how could you, you know, be so unkind? How could you like, be so, so, you know, oblivious to, to her pain? Regardless of who it was, it wasn't my mom or anybody else. I mean, really to say something like that, you know, and, 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 and in a time when someone's going through so much pain, to say something like that, I mean, where do you get off? You know, and, and, and but again, we can have all these little prejudices in our, in our heart. You know, and, and one thing I love about going through through the book of Acts is that, is that we're going to see the, how the early church operated. And we're going to see that, that throughout the years, you know, the church has adopted customs and beliefs that, 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 that the first century church never held to. You know, and sometimes we go on through our ministries and we're practicing these things because this is just, you know, our, 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 our Christian walk, you know. And that's, we've kind of been like indoctrinated with these with certain things that, oh, I'm a Christian. Church is supposed to be like this. We're supposed to do things this way. I'm supposed to say this. He's supposed to do that, you know. And, and we see that the early church never practiced some of these things and they never taught some of these things. But yet somehow along the line, you know, they, 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 they got carried on to the church and we began to do them. And now we teach them and we practice them as if they were God's ordinances. You know, and, and my heart as we go through the, through the, through the book of Acts and when we study about the first century church is that, is, is that the Lord will just open up our eyes to, to, to how the early church operated. And my heart is that, is that Calvary Chapel City Terrace will be a, a church like the book of Acts. You know, that we will operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and that we will receive you know, direct guidance from the Lord and direct inspiration from the Holy Spirit and direct empowerment from the, from the Holy Spirit. And that we will go out there and we will operate you know, here from God. That we will be on God's agenda and not on my agenda. You know, not on our agenda. You know, but, but God's agenda. We see that the, whole, that the early church was receiving directly from the Lord. You know, we see Philip that he was taken, taken up to the desert. You know, he met this eunuch and we see... Uh, uh, um, Peter there as he's preaching to, to, to all these people and Paul as he as he sent to, to preach to the, to the Gentiles and all these awesome things that are going on you know and I read this and I say Lord I want to I want to I want to be like that Lord I, Lord, I want to walk like that Lord I want to live that you know and, and and this is kind of like our opportunity to just say all right Lord you know and this is one thing I do you know before we went to the book of Acts as I was preparing for it before I even studied for it I, I sat down and I prayed I'm like Lord as I'm studying for the book of Acts, I'm, as I'm reading through the book of Acts, Lord, I, I pray that you would search my heart, that you would try me, that you would know if there's any wicked thing in me, and that you would lead me in the way everlasting. Like, like David prayed there in Psalm 139. Like, Lord, I don't want to go through this with my prejudices already in mind, and I don't want to teach this through the filter of my already beliefs. But I, but I said, Lord, I want to just teach your word how it is, plain and simple, without any of my personal you know, uh, uh, things that I hold on to. And, and that's my prayer. That's my prayer for, for all of us is that as we go through the, through, through the book of Acts and really through the whole Bible, that we will just be open to the Lord breaking down some of our molds and even building new ones. And I'm like, Lord, sometimes it hurts, you know, because I'm going through the Bible and the Lord's addressing certain things in my life that, that I thought were okay. And I'm like, Lord, I thought this was okay. And now the Lord's like, nope, I got to break the mold and I got to build it back up. I'm like, oh, Lord, it hurts. And, and he's like, yeah, I know it hurts, but, but it's for your benefit. I'm like, all right, Lord. If it's for my benefit, if it's, if it's going to help me operate, you know, uh, more effectively for you and, and be directed by the Holy Spirit, then, then Lord, I want it, even if it hurts. And so I, I'm, I'm in a season right now where the Lord is doing a lot of, I don't have a rag, but where he's doing a lot of this. You know, you know, when you take a wet rag and you just do this, you know, and you dry it up and boom, just when you think it's dry, you go like that again. 
And then, bang, drop it into the bucket of fresh water. I'm in a season right now where the Lord is just doing that in my life. I'm like, hi, Lord. It hurts sometimes, Lord. It hurts when you do this to me, Lord. But, but when I'm dipped in that fresh bucket of water, man, it feels so good. And that's my heart, you know, that we would go through, that we'll all be, have that same heart of just being, Lord, let me be moldable, you know. Let us be like clay in the potter's hands. Lord, mold us and shape us to however you want, Lord. So continuing on, verse 21, it says, I'll read the, the, the rest of the chapter 1. It says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to us, with us, of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabas, who was named Justice, surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship for which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the, and the lot found Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So we hear, see here again, as, as Peter is addressing this issue, like, hey, there's an empty seat, you know, and, and, and the twelve apostles, and we have to fill it according to the scriptures. We have to fill it. So he, he gives certain qualifications for the office of apostleship. And, and, and we, we see these qualifications right here. So we see that they end up cho cho uh, choosing Matthias, but there was 120 guys up there with them. That's what it tells us there in the, in the verses previously, that there was 120 guys up there. So using these qualifications for apostleship, they narrowed it down to two guys. And they said, all right, Lord, are these two guys, which one is it? But we see that, that, that very important that there is qualifications for apostleship. You know, so, and here they are. One of them, it says that they had to be there with them since the baptism of John the Baptist. So we know that in the Gospels, you know, as Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, he, he, he poured into 12 guys. But really, he had a number of followers. There, there in the Gospel, Lucas says that he sent out 70 of them. And that, and, that, and that two guys returned and they're like, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. You know, but it says that, and he tells them, oh, don't rejoice about that, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But, but I emphasize the fact that, that he sent out 70. So he always had those 12 that, that, that were his boys, you know, that he poured into them. He, he, he shared his heart with, you know, he prayed with, he spent most of the time with. The ones that he discipled, he called his disciples. You know, but, but he had more followers. And here, and here we see in the book of Acts that as they were in the upper room that there was 120 of those guys with them. So from those 120, using these qualifications, they, they narrowed it down to two guys. One of those qualifications, again, he says that they had to be there with them. Since, since, since the very beginning, since the baptism of, of John the Baptist, where, where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, of, the sin of the world. And then Jesus came up to him and, you know, and, 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 and said, Baptize me. And you know, so they, they had to be with them since that very moment. Two, it says that they had to be with them during, during Jesus' earthly ministry for those three and a half years. And then three, it says that they had to, they had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So based on three, these three Qualifications given to us there in verse 21 and 22, you know, they, they narrowed it down to these two guys. Now, we see that, that we see that there needed to be an initial 12 apostles for the beginning of this new church age that was about to take place at the day of Pentecost. This, this was, this was for, 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 to start. This is to, to initialize the, the, the new church. This was to, to begin this, this new work of the church there and there of the first century church. Now, we can't, we can't create doctrine from the book of Acts. We could support doctrine from it, but we can't create doctrine 
from the book of Acts because a lot of things that, 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 that go on in the, in the book of Acts are, are, are just for that moment. For example, the, Jesus tells them, you know, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You know, and then now there's people who, who, who have these, these meetings, you know, where, hey, we're going to have a night where we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. You know, it sounds good. I've done it. <laughs> but really, when, when, you, when, you, when you get to the Bible, we see that for us as New Testament believers, there's no need for that. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit is freely given to us at any point. We just have to ask. I can say right now, Liz prayed earlier, Lord, baptize angel with the Holy Spirit. And at that very moment that, that she prayed, the Lord baptized me with this Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have to wait now for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us because now it's been freely given to us. So that, that's what I mean when I say we can't create doctrine. We can't create these practices. We can't create doctrine from the book of Acts because a lot of these things that, that occurred in the book of Acts are, 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 are because of the initial stages of the church. And in reality, these guys, this is what we're reading about. It's a transitional phase. You know, they're transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Although they were already under the new covenant because of Jesus' blood and, and, and body sacrifice, they were still transitioning from the Old Testament customs to the New Testament customs. So again, we see here that there needs to be an initial 12 apostles for the beginning of this new church age that was about to take place at the day of Pentecost. After this, we don't, we don't see them ever gathering together again to replace an apostle when he died. Like for example, James. I believe here it's in the book of Acts that talks about James, the apostle, who, who ended up getting martyred. And we don't see them gathering up together again and saying, all right, now we've got to fill James' position. No. Why? Because the, these, this, the office of the 12 apostles was for an initial you know, beginning, which is for the beginning stages. After that, we see that all these guys began to, to die off. Well, they began to get killed. You know, uh, James and Peter was crucified upside down, and, 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 and Thomas was stabbed to death. And all these guys, all these apostles began to get killed off. You know, now, the rest of the guys didn't have a meeting and, and, and fill their positions and all that. Again, why? Because it was only for, for, for this beginning stage. So we see that the office of the apostle ended with the 12. Again, and, and I emphasize the word office. The office of the apostle ended with, the, with these 12. Though the gift of apostleship continued, you know, and, and still continues to this day. The office ended there with these 12, but the gift continues. Now, the, the, the gift of apostleship, what it is, is really, the word apostle means sent one. You know, so really, the, the gift of, of apostleship is, is for the missionary. I, I gave some of the guys the, the list of 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and on there is, is the gift of apostleship. And we see that the gift of apostleship, as, that the Bible talks about it, and Paul mentions it, is, a, is a, a specific calling that the Lord has on someone's life, and He gifts them to be able to leave their, their, their own, their own uh, uh, community, their own culture, their own land, and minister the gospel in an effective way in a different culture that's not their own. So that's the gift of apostleship. So the gift of apostleship is in use today because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, us as Calvary Chapel, me, I believe that, that, that every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. There, there's, there's, there's people who teach that, that certain gifts died off and certain gifts were only for the beginning. Certain gifts continued. But the Bible never says anything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceasing. Every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And, and, and the Bible gives us guidance as, as, as to how to use them. But we see as far as the office of apostleship, it ended with the 12. And you want to turn with me there to Revelation 21, 14. As, as, as Jesus, I mean, as John is as having this vision of the new Jerusalem. There, Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem. He begins to describe the, 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 the city. And one thing that he says there in verse 14 of Revelation 21, he says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. 
And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, you know, there's, you know, guys out there you know, who call themselves apostles. And I don't want to discredit their ministry. I'm not, a, I'm not here to bash anybody's ministry. But, but, but as far as, and I definitely believe that, that, that they were sent out and that their church sent them out or that the Lord sent them out and, and, and to, to, pre to preach the word of God. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But as far as the office of apostleship, we see here that it, it ended with the 12. You know, and, and if someone will say, well, I'm, you know, apostle so-and-so. Well, my question is, well, all right, well, whose name did you replace? You know, which, which one of the foundations did you replace? Because the Bible says there in Revelation 21.4 that the city, the New Jerusalem, has 12 foundations. And on them were written the 12, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we see that 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 these that the office of these twelve apostles were were that's it it ended with them, you know, and, and they're in the New Jerusalem, their, their names are written on the twelve foundations because they were the twelve the Lamb's twelve apostles, and that's it, that's it. So the office ceased with the twelve, but the gift continues to this very day. And so they go on they go on to to, to again as they as they narrow down to these two guys they pray and they're like all right Lord which one is it going to be Joseph. Or, or, or Matthias And it says that, that, that they cast lots that, that they cast lots And that, and that the lot fell Matthias So by default they said alright well the Lord chose Matthias Now a question comes up You know was, was Peter jumping the gun You know was you know, a, a lot of people say that, that Peter here That he was, he was out of line when he did this And then he said oh you know And that he should have waited because the guy was actually Paul And all that my opinion, again, this is my, my personal opinion. This is something, if you guys disagree with me on this, that's fine. But, but my personal opinion is, uh, uh, I don't think so, you know. Um, I really don't think that Peter jumped the gun and, 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 he, and he went off on his own without, without the Lord instructing him. I believe that, that, that what he did was scriptural. Uh, as we see here, he had scriptural basis for doing this, as he quoted there in, in Psalms. And so we see that Peter was taking the lead amongst the, one, the hundred, 120 we see that he understood by the Holy Spirit that the office needed to be fulfilled. And I believe that the Holy Spirit revealed this to Peter because he was the one who was supposed to take the lead and fill the office. So he was led by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit was already indwelling him. It says that he prayed and the Lord answered. The Lord answered to these lots. But he prayed. And I believe you know, if he was out of line in doing this, I believe that the Lord would have rebuked them and said, Oh, hold on, Peter. You know, we see that, that the Lord sent angels, the Lord appeared to, to them himself. The, the Lord could have spoke, spoke through one of the other 120 guys that are there with them and said, Whoa, Peter, I don't think that's of the Lord right there, bro. You know, but, but we see that this didn't happen. So I, me and my heart, I, I believe that, that Peter was, 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 was acting properly. You know, that, that he was, you know, moved by the Holy Spirit to do this. He was led by the Holy Spirit to do this. We see that he prayed. He had scriptural basis. You know, the Lord answered through these lots. And... So the question comes up, well, what about this lot, this whole lot thing? You know, the whole casting lot to find out God's will. You know, so back then in the Old Testament, what, what, what the children of Israel would do is that, and even the priests, so they, they would cast these lots to determine God's will. Now, we don't know what exactly these lots were, but it's similar to like throwing dice. All right, Lord, if you want us to, to brew coffee, uh, hazelnut coffee or French vanilla coffee, and hazelnut uh, snake eyes and, and vanilla, you know, sixes, I don't know. And so they'll see, all right, which one is it? This, it's that type of thing, you know? But, so it was an Old Testament practice, you know? And, and so we see Peter now here using, he's, he's casting the lots to determine God's will. Now, 
So, so the, the question comes up, well, what about this whole casting out thing? You know, was, was that ungodly for Peter to do? Was that a, a wrong thing for Peter to do? Well, again, my opinion, I'd say this. Keep in mind that, that they are still operating under Old Testament standards. You know, the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them yet. Though they had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this is, I mean, the, the Holy Spirit had not even fell upon them yet. What, there at the day of Pentecost is the birth of the church. You know, the, 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 the church was birthed at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they experienced this, this, this epi, the epi experience of the Holy Spirit. You know, the coming upon, the empowering. So right now they're still inter-testament, inter-testament. You know, they're, 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 they're in this trans, like a transitional phase between the Old Testament practices and the new. So we see that, the, that even during their day, I mean, the, the last Old Testament prophet, do you guys know who the last Old Testament prophet was? It wasn't Malachi. He was the last writer that we have in the Bible of the Old Testament. But really the Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. And, and, and he lived during, during Jesus' time. You know, now, one thing, I don't want to go, oh man, I could go so, I could go so deep in every one of these things. I'll just mention a little bit about, about John the Baptist. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. You know, so again, they're in this intertestament period. They're still under, operating under Old Testament standards. You know, until the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them. But John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, a little side note about John the Baptist and about his ministry. Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said this about John the Baptist. He said, among, among those born to women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. There is no prophet greater than John the Baptist. So, Jesus says that, that, that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Greater than Elijah, greater than Moses, greater than, than all these guys. The greatest prophet who ever lived. Why? Because he had the, he had the task of, of ushering in the kingdom of God. Of ushering in the Lamb of God. He was, all these other guys, you know, they prophesied about this, this day. And, and, and John the Baptist lived it. You know, he, he, he preached it. So Jesus says, out of all the Old Testament guys, he says, John the Baptist is the greatest of all, of all those. And then he says something else that, that's very, that, that really I, I love to read and I love to be reminded of. He says, but... Surely I tell you that the least, they said that, that the least of you in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. I think that's amazing to, for him to say that, the, that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, the, 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 the greatest one, you know, the, the greatest man ever born to women, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. But he says, the least of you in the kingdom of God, hey, the, 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 the least one in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Why? Because we're under the new covenant. Because we're operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we're, we're living out this, these promises that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. They look towards this promise. We're living it. So each and every one of you guys, each and every one of you guys, no matter if you think that you have an ineffective ministry or that you're insignificant to the kingdom of God or that you're insignificant to the church or like, oh, all I do is come and set up chairs or all I do is come and, you know, brew coffee and all I come is, all I do is come and eat the donuts, <laughs> whatever. You know, if, if, if you're in the kingdom of God today, it don't matter if you consider yourself the least of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of the servants in the kingdom of God. You're greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet, according to what Jesus said. Amen? I just think that's amazing. So anyway, so they're in, they're in between Testament here. You know, they're still operating under the Old Testament standards. So, so, so Peter cast lots to, to determine God's will. And we see that, again, this was a common practice in the Old Testament. Aaron casted, lot, casted uh, lots to, uh, upon the two goats, the scapegoat, and the one that, that he would sacrifice. 
We see that, that, that Moses was instructed to, by the Lord to cast lots in order to, to distribute the, the, the land to the, to the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see, that, we see that the priests would cast lots in order to determine certain things from the Lord. So it was a common practice. You know, and what Peter's doing, he's just doing what, what, what he knows to do right. But we see that after the Holy Spirit falls upon them, they never again use this method to determine God's will ever again. Why? Because they have the Holy, the Holy Spirit directing and guiding them and, and, and speaking to them. Later on in the, in the book of Acts, we're going to read that, 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 that all the elders were, were, there, were there praying. And it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said to them, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry that I've called them to. So we see that no longer they had to cast lots, but the Holy Spirit himself spoke to them. The Holy Spirit himself speaks to us today. This way, that way, do this, do that, as I'm praying. And it's very often, very subtly. You know what I mean? Everything's like that. And I think, man, well, was there an audible voice? Were they just sitting there and then they were praying? All of a sudden they heard a voice. They separated unto me, Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas. I don't know. I don't think so. But the, the way I see it in my life is that the Lord speaks to me. He speaks to us in just very subtle, subtle ways. You know, often using our own minds, often using our own thoughts, after using our own heart's desires to, to lead us. You know what I mean? We had an awesome... An awesome time a couple couple days ago, you know, we went to, to Sister Sandra's house and we prayed and, and we're like, all right, Lord, our heart is to go over there and to just minister to them and to bring some food. That's it. You know, little did I know that it was the leading of the Holy Spirit there because, man, we just had an awesome time. An awesome time just ministering. And I thought, man, that had to be the Lord, you know. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord set all this up right here, you know. And we didn't know. We were just like, man, that was just on our heart. So we see that, that the Lord leads us in these very subtle ways. So don't be discouraged if you think like, oh, I've never heard the Lord speak to me or oh, I've never heard God give me instructions or anything like that. We see that God uses even our own likes and dislikes and just to just to, to, to minister to other people. You know, He uses it in that way. I remember we used to share the gospel there in Old Town Puente on Friday nights. And during summer, you know, it's, it's still hot up until like 8 o'clock. So I remember we'd be there like at 5, 6, and it'd be so hot. And I remember when you walk down Main Street in La Puente, one side of the street, by that time, there's all shade. And the other side, it's all sun. So, of course, I took the shade. I took the shade. And we split up, and, and I took the shady side. It was like four of us. I'm like, I'll go on that side. You know, and it wasn't like a very spiritual thing to do. I was doing it because I don't want to be in the sun. You know, but I don't hate being in the sun. So I went this way. And uh, as I'm going this way, you know, I remember these two, these two kids coming up with their skateboards. I remember just talking to them. I remember as I talked to them and just started sharing the gospel with them, at the end of the conversation, they're like, ah, you know what? They're like, you're not going to believe this, but right before you talk to us, we're actually saying, hey, we should find a church. We should start going to church. And I thought, man, that's so crazy. I'm like, Lord, that you would use me, you know, my selfishness of, you know, letting those guys get sunburned and I'm going to shade. But the Lord just guides us in, in such natural ways, you know. We don't have to be these super spiritual, you know, uh, uh, thus is the Lord type of guys. You know, the, the Lord uses us in, in our natural abilities. And he uses us just how we are, you know. And that's just one example. I did it not because I was trying to be spiritual. and be like, oh, the Lord said for me to go on this side. And no, I'm like, dude, I don't want to get burned, man. I'm going on this side. Hey, the Lord used me, man. Stuff like that, you know. So we see again that after this, that, that, that they never again had to use this method to find out God's will. But the Holy Spirit directed them personally. So the question comes up, all right, well, what about Paul? You know, because some people will say, well, well Peter was jumping the gun because it was actually Paul who was supposed to be chosen instead of Matthias. You know, and, and that's true. You know, Paul does get chosen later on. 
But, but Paul himself says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, he says, as he's describing his ministry, he says, Last, he says, he was seen by me also as, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now when he says that, that, that term, born out of due time, in the Greek, that, that word is referring to an abortion. An abortion or a miscarriage. He's like, hey man, so what he's saying is like, I was born, I became an apostle, like not in a natural way. It wasn't natural for me to become an apostle. It happened, it happened in kind of a freakish way. You know, he says, I was, I was like one born out of, out of due time. I was like one who was miscarried and survived. Or I was like an abortion. So that word means, you know, abortion. One born out of due time. So what he's saying is like, it wasn't meant to happen. You know, I persecuted the church of God. So, so Paul himself says that, that, that he wasn't, that he wasn't you know, a, a worthy to even be called an apostle. That he was the least of the apostles. It's not just him being humble and be like, oh no man, I'm, I'm the least one. Those guys are, oh, they saw the Lord. It's not, it's not that. It's like he's recognizing, hey man, I wasn't even supposed to be an apostle. You know, so there we have you know. So after this, we don't read about Matthias ever again. True. That's one thing people will say, well after this, you never read about Matthias ever again. That's true. But also you never read about Andrew and Philip. Because the Philip that talks about here in the, and, and later on is not the Philip that walked with Jesus. So it's a different Philip. So we never read about any about Matthew about any of these guys ever again. So most of the most of the, the, the ten disciples that are there, with the exception of Peter, John, and James, who who's mentioned that he that he that he was martyred later on. That's all it says about him. Because the the writer of the book of James is actually the half brother of the Lord. It wasn't the disciple of James. So all these other guys are never mentioned ever again in the book of Acts. So to say, oh well, Peter was wrong in choosing Matthias because you never see Matthias ever again in the in the book of Acts. We well, never see really the other guys at all, ever, either. So, there goes that. That's my opinion. You guys could study that on your own and, and kind of just come to a conclusion. Whatever, we could talk about it after church if you want. Uh, not a big deal, but I don't know. It's this, I feel like, you know, we, we beat up on Peter a lot, you know. And, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is me trying to defend Peter. Like, hey, come on, he wasn't such a bad guy. I don't know. You know, we, he does mess up later on. So, we see that now in chapter 2. We go on to, to chapter 2 as Again Now this is out of the way You know the, 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 the office is filled now They have the 12 disciples now The, the 12 apostles now And, and, and they're ready to, to go into the, the day of Pentecost and, and be used by the Lord mightily Now that that's out of the way now, now that the you know Now that business is taken care of So to say Now we see Here the coming of the Holy Spirit and I'm going to read from verses 1 through 4 It says When the day of Pentecost Had fully come they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. One thing I want to focus on here is the very first verse. It says... When the day of Pentecost had fully come. So when, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So one thing I ask myself, you know, as I, as I read the Bible, not just here, but I try to always ask questions, you know, when I, when I go through the Bible. I mean, ask the Lord. You know, the, 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 the Lord said that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things. And when there's something I don't understand, I'm like, Lord, why this? Lord, why that? Lord, why do I have to be on this day? And the Holy Spirit, you know, teaches us all these things. So one thing I ask myself is, why the, day, why the day of Pentecost? You guys ever ask, ask yourself that as you read this? You guys ever think, 
Why did the Holy Spirit fall upon them on the day of Pentecost? Why wasn't it right after his resurrection? Why wasn't it a day before Pentecost? Why wasn't it afterwards? Why? Why, why, why is it specifically on the day of Pentecost? And we see that, that Luke, the writer of Acts, is, is very detailed you know, in his account. And, and, and he, he, he provides a lot, of, a lot of specific details like this. Saying that the Holy Spirit fell when the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So I ask myself, Lord, why the day of Pentecost? Important things to know about the day of Pentecost. It was actually called the, the Feast of Pentecost. And now, the Feast of Pentecost was a feast that was celebrated 50 days, which is actually seven weeks after the Passover Sabbath. So after the Passover Sabbath, you know, we actually begin the, 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 the Feast of the First Fruits. But, but the, the Feast of Pentecost was to be celebrated seven weeks after the, the Passover Sabbath. So 50 days. You know, which is where we get the word Pentecost. Penta means five. You know, Pentecost. Think about pentagram, pentagon. You know, penta. Penta means five. So the Feast of Pentecost, uh, Pentecost 50 days after the, the Passover Sabbath. So it is the second of the three great feasts of Israel. It was a one-day festival. And so we see that, that, that Jesus was crucified on Passover. He resurrected three days later. He stayed with the disciples 40 days, according to Luke there in Acts 1-3. And, and, and then he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power on, from on high. And this happened on the, day, on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus rose from the dead that Sunday, that, 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 that day after the Passover Sabbath. And then Luke says that he stayed with them some 40 days. And then, so, which means that when the Holy Spirit came, they would have been tarrying for about 10 days. That gives us a time frame. You know, boom, 40 days, the Lord ascended. Then from the... Passover, the, the day after Passover Sabbath where Jesus uh, resurrected to Pentecost, you know, 50 days so you take out those 40 days, now there's a window of like 10 days where they waited so we have, we know how long they waited somewhere around 10 days so we see again that, 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 that they're instructed to wait until the, until the promise of the Father and until the, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit you know, so, so they waited for about 10 days now, I ask myself why did the Lord tell them to wait until they were endued with power from on high. Yeah, we talked about it last Sunday. That yeah, that that, that they they needed they needed this special dynamic of the Holy Spirit to, to to operate in the way that they operated. You know, we see that the Lord used them mightily there in this upcoming chapter, which I can't wait to get to. You know, but so so they definitely need this power. But more than that, more than that, you know. So why did this power from on high, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, happen on Pentecost? We see one that, that God is a God of order, you know, and God doesn't do anything half hazardly, you know, he doesn't do anything just, oh, you know, by the wayside, he doesn't do anything like, oh, but we say in Spanish, como caiga, like, oh, whatever, however it works out, it works out, you know, that's not God, he does everything very uh, specifically, very detailed, very in order, and very purposeful, so we see, why did the coming of the Holy Spirit happen on Pentecost, was it convenience, was it a coincidence maybe? Again, God is a God of order and, and, and there's always a reason to why the Lord does things the way He does them. And one thing that, that, that I've learned in my life and even as we're studying through the scriptures, we'll see that, that, that God's perfect will and plan is, is, is woven into the details. You know, it's like you, you see the details, you know, and, and we see God's will just like woven like a cloth. You know, just God's will, His perfect will, His perfect plan is woven into the details of our lives. And, 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 and there's no exception with this. 
He's so sovereign. He's so in control. He, he knows what, what he's doing. God's sovereignty is just amazing. I was studying for this and I had to just pause it and just fall on my faces and just worship God for his sovereignty. I'm like, Lord, you're so sovereign. Like, Lord, how am I supposed to explain and understand your sovereignty, Lord? You're so sovereign, meaning that word sovereignty meaning it is God's all-knowing. You know, God's all-knowing of everything, everyone. So you see that he's so sovereign. So again, the, the Feast of Pentecost, it's also referred to as, as the Feast of Weeks. There in Exodus 34. You don't have to turn there. I'm, I'm going to cite a lot of scriptures. You know, you can write them down. I'll try to go slow. But it, it's also known as the Feast of Weeks. There in Exodus 34, 22. And in Leviticus 23, 15 to 22. It's also known as the Feast of Harvest. There in Exodus 23, 16. It's also called the Feast of First Fruits in Numbers 28, 26. And we see that, that unlike the other feasts of the Jews, the Old Testament does not give us any specific historic significance for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. The Old Testament doesn't give us more details about this Feast of Pentecost. Most of the other, all the other feasts, it was, they had these feasts as, as a commemoration for something that God had done in their history. Not so with the Feast of Pentecost. So we see that, that, that Pentecost is actually the only of the three great agricultural feasts of the Jews which does not commemorate some event in Jewish history. It's the only one. So, and, and we see that the Lord chose this day to, to, to have the Holy Spirit fall upon the, the disciples during that day. Why? So what went on during this time? It's important to, to, to understand a little bit about, about what happened during this day. You know, so what went on during this time? So the first day after the Passover Sabbath, which means you know, the same day that Jesus resurrected, the first day after the Passover Sabbath, at the beginning of the barley harvest, the first bundle of grains from the new crop were to be brought as an offering to the Lord along with an animal sacrifice. So this is this is the, the, the first day again after after the Passover harvest, uh, the Passover the Passover feast. Passover will happen on Friday. They will have the Sabbath, and that following day they were they were to bring the first fruits of their of their of their of their harvest. You know, and and this was to, to as they were doing this, they were acknowledging that everything came from God and belonged to God. It was like a sacrifice unto God, saying, "Lord, we're giving you our first fruits, you know, acknowledging, Lord, that that this is from you." You know, now. I'm going to define this word first fruits as used here in the, in the, in the Bible. The, word, the term first fruits, you know, is like, it's the first of. Like, for example, if, if, if I just started a new job, you know, let's say I started at a new company, um, so blank electrical company. You know, I work my first week, I don't get paid, but we get paid every two weeks. So, but the next week I get my first check. You know, so my, that first check will be considered my first fruits because it's, it's the first of my labor. And so, like, I would, if I wanted to do this, I would give my first check there working at this new company to the Lord as my first fruit. So, so we see that the Jews were instructed to bring the, the first fruit of this of this of this grain harvest as an offering to the Lord, acknowledging, Lord, it all comes from you. So, so they were, they were to, to do this, and you can read that read about this more in Leviticus twenty three. And so the days later, and so fifty days later, at, at the day of Pentecost. They brought the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And what they would do is that they would bake two loaves of bread using leaven. Now, this is, this is interesting because all throughout the Bible, leaven is used as, as, a, as, a, negative, as a negative thing. It's symbolic to something negative. It's symbolic always to sin, leaven. You know, but, but in, in this feast, in the Feast of, of, Tabor, of, of Pentecost, they were, they were instructed to bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest along with two loaves of bread baked with leaven. 
This is the only time in the Bible where, where the Lord instructs them to, to, to cook as far as for an offering with leaven. So they will bring these, these, these two breads there as an offering with leaven. Now, and, and they would offer these loaves to the Lord, you know, as a wave offering and thanksgiving for the, for the harvest. So they would bring three. One of them they would burn, and the other two they would kind of just do this. It was a wave offering to the Lord. You know, they never really like, threw it in the fire or anything. They, they just, they, it was a wave offering. Talks about that there in Leviticus 23 as well. So why is this significant? I mean, all right, we're reading about a lot of Old Testament stuff, and, you know, I know some of this could get kind of dry. You know, I read through the, some of Leviticus numbers. I'm like, man, this is kind of dry right now. I don't feel like I'm being ministered to. You know, and, and, but I, I feel like it's important to note. You know, so why is this significant? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 20 23, tells us that Christ is the first fruit of those who sleep. You know, that Christ is the first fruit of the dead. Now keep in mind that, 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 he, that he resurrected on the day after the Passover Sabbath. The same day where the Jews were to bring this, 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 this offering of the first fruits of their grain. Now 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that Christ is the first fruits of all those who are dead. He rose from the dead on the first day after the Passover Sabbath as a figurative fulfillment of that first fruits grain offering. Again, God is so sovereign. You know, and, and, and we'll see that the whole Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis 1-1 all the way into to the last chapter, the last verse of Revelation, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And you can find Christ in every single scripture, especially in the Old Testament. We can find Christ in, in everything. You know, there's a whole book called Christ in the Old Testament. It's amazing, amazing, where it just goes down from Genesis all the way down to, to, to Malachi, pointing out Christ in the Old Testament. It's incredible. You guys should look it up. I forgot the name of the author. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, again, it says that Christ is the first fruits of those who sleep, of the dead. Romans 8, 23 speaks of the Holy Spirit given to all those who believe on, the, on Christ as, as also as first fruits, as a first fruits. So we see that the gift of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there in Pentecost was the first fruits of the spiritual harvest obtained through Christ. You know, again, the Jews were instructed there at Pentecost to bring the first fruits of their harvest. And Romans, there, there Romans, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit given to the life to the believer is, is, is a sort of first fruits, you know, of, of this of this work of, of Christ in the life of the believer. And we see that the offering at Pentecost was meant to thank the Lord for the coming harvest. So when the Jews were instructed to, to at Pentecost, 50 days after the after the Passover, when they were instructed to go to go to Pentecost and to bring this harvest, to bring this first fruit of the harvest, another thing that was that, that they were to do is that they were to give thanks to the Lord for the coming harvest. You know, so this is the first fruit of the harvest, and by faith they were saying, Lord, we're going to give this unto you as, as just a, a, a symbol of our thankfulness for what you're going to do. You know, not because they had already received the whole, the whole, the whole field, but because this was the, the, the beginning of the first of the whole field, and they were trusting God to provide the rest of their harvest. That's interesting. That's, that's, keep that in mind. That the offering at Pentecost was meant to thank the Lord for the coming harvest. Now, what did the Lord do that day? We see here in, in, in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came upon them and that they began to speak in other tongues. We see that Peter gets up and preaches a message and that 3,000 souls get saved according here to the next chapter. See that on this day of Pentecost, Peter gets up, you know, the Holy Spirit is given, they start speaking in other tongues. Peter gets up, he preaches his message. 3,000 souls are added at, at just in that one message to the kingdom of God that day. 
So we see that the Lord gave them a great harvest. Symbolic to what the, to what the Jews were, were, were called to do as they were to bring this offering as, as, a, as a thanks of the harvest that God was going to bring. This wheat harvest. And now they're at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter preaches a message and the Lord brings them a great harvest. Amazing. Spiritual harvest. Amazing. And I'm reminded of, of the words of the Lord Jesus there in John chapter 4 after he meets with the woman at the well. The disciples come and they say, hey, aren't you hungry? He says, I, he says, I, have, I have food to eat of which you not know of. He says, my food is, is to do the will of, of, of him who sent me and to, and to fulfill it. And they're, they're pretty much asking, what is he talking about? They're saying, what is he talking about? And then Jesus goes on to, um, to tell them, don't you say that, I think it's four more months. He says, don't, you, don't you guys say that four more months and, and, and that the harvest is, it will be ripe? He says, but I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Until, uh, lift up your eyes and see that, that, that the fields are already white for harvest. Again, a foreshadowing of what he was about to do in this day of Pentecost. And so what about these two loaves? Again, everything that the Lord does has a significance. Every single instruction, every single ordinance, every single feast, every single festival, every single law, everything points to Christ. So what about these two loaves? Well, they represent the Jews and the Gentiles who would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Why two loaves? You know, the, the, the Jews believe that, that salvation was only for the Jews. But we see here in the book of Acts that, that God is going to do a new thing in their, in their midst. That he's going to bring Gentiles to salvation. That's us. We're Gentiles. Anybody who's not a, a, a born Jew by blood is considered a Gentile. And we see that, that, that God's plan to save the Gentiles, to save anybody who would call upon his name, was something that, that, he, that he instructed. It was something that he included in the law way back there in Leviticus. Before, before this was even ever a thing. So these, these two loaves of bread that, that they will come in and offer to the Lord as a wave offering, you know, with, with the leaven inside, cooked inside, symbolic of, of, of the church today. You know, as we're saved, we're saved by faith, you know, by grace through faith in Christ. We still have this indwelling sin in us, but as far as, as, far as our righteousness before the Lord, God sees us as blameless. God sees us as already cleansed. But the, the, these two loaves of bread with the leaven inside are symbolic. Again, of, of the believer coming to the Lord, offer being offered to the Lord as, as again, as, as a living sacrifice, you know, with His leaven inside of us still. We come to the Lord, you know, the Lord forgives us of our, of our sin, cleanses of our sin, He, he casts our sin as far as the east is to the west, but we still have this indwelling sin because we're still in these, in these mortal bodies. But yet, we're still saved and we're still being righteous. That was foreign to them. That was foreign to them because they can never comprehend how a sinful man, sinful, sinful, sinful human being could come in the holy presence of God. They didn't understand this. But we see that they, they didn't know what was going to happen through, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, they were, we see that these two, this, these two breads were offered as one offering. Two breads, one offering to the Lord. Interesting because Galatians 3.28, Paul tells us, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you can find one offering unto the Lord. You know, and I just think it's amazing. Again, God is so in the details. God is so in the details. So we see that, that with God, nothing is by coincidence. God had this planned before the foundation of the world. It's not something that he thought of last minute. Oh, God, I saved the Gentiles. Oh, I got to include this so that, you know, these guys can get saved too, even though they're not Jews. Oh, I got to include this so that these guys can get saved too, even though they don't do any, any uh, uh, temple sacrifices. No, we see that, that God had us in mind, not, not even before this, not even before the day of Pentecost, but before the foundations of the world 
God had you and me in mind. He had our salvation in mind. And He worked it all out again. From the very foundation, before the foundations of the world. Before He even gave the law, before He even gave the feast, before He, he even gave the people, before He even created the world, He had our salvation, your salvation, my salvation in mind. Amazing. Amazing. I love what it says there in Ephesians 1.11. It says, it says that God works all things after the counsel of His own will. All things. All things. Because God works all things after the counsel of His own will. Meaning, hey, God knows what He's doing. God knows why He allows things to happen. God knows why He does things in your life and in my life. So the question comes up. Can we trust God, God with our lives? Knowing how detail-oriented God is here with even just with this festival. This is just one festival that we're looking at. This is just one day, the Feast of Pentecost. Imagine we did a study on all the festivals. Man, so many details, but we see that God is God glorifies Himself in the details. And then I ask myself, man, Lord, can I trust you with my life? <laughs> of course we can. Can we trust Him with our problems? Can He be trusted with our families? Can He be trusted with our jobs? Can He be trusted with our houses? Can he be trusted with our finances? Can he trusted, be trusted with our spouses? Hey, can he be trusted with our eternity? Knowing that, that again, how God so intricately wove us into, in, into, into this, into his book. Oh man, like, can he be trusted with the rest of our lives? I say, yeah. So I encourage you, I encourage myself, I encourage all of us. I thought we were going to have more time. <laughs> and it looks like we're going to stop there at verse, chapter 2, verse 1. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not in a rush. We'll stop there in chapter 2, verse 1. But, you know, with this, I would want to just encourage us. You know, hey, like the Bible says, cast your care upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Now, when Peter says that He cares for you, I mean, that word cares, hey, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. It has so much more weight than, than what we think. He cares for you. It's not just, uh, oh, yeah, I care for you and pray for you. Oh, yeah, I care for you. I remember you. Oh, yeah, I care for you. Uh, Come to me whenever you need me. No, when he says God cares for you, I mean, God cared for you before you were even born, before even the foundations of the world. From eternity's past, God cared for you. So Peter encourages us, hey, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Again, the, the, the depth to this word care, the depth to, to, to this care that God has for us, you know, that he would ordain our lives before the, even the foundations of the world. I just think it's amazing. I just think it's amazing. This is just one example, of, again, of, of God's sovereignty in, in, in our lives and God's sovereignty in, in His book and God's sovereignty in, in the Bible and God's sovereignty in salvation and God's sovereignty really in, in everything. You know, and, and I say this to say because sometimes we go through things in our lives and we're like, we start questioning God's, God's hand in our lives. Lord, do you even know what I'm going through? Lord, did you see me when I was going, all those years when I was going through this? Lord, did you even notice me? When, when, when this was on my mind, when this was brought up against me, when I was facing these charges, when I was all this, all this, that, and the other. And we see that God had us in mind ever since then. I love what Hagar, what Hagar did, you know, as, as, as she, left, uh, she left Sarah, you know, because she was being mean to her. So she goes out into the wilderness, says that she built an altar, starts worshiping God, and that God reveals himself to her, you know, and, and that and she calls his altar Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees. You know, it says, she says, for God has seen my affliction. Just this maidservant there in the wilderness fleeing from her house. Nobody. Insignificant. 
But yet, she was able to recognize, hey man, Jehovah is Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees. Why? Because he has seen my affliction. One puny little you know, grain of sand in a world of billions and billions and billions of people, but yet God sees our afflictions. God looks upon us. God cares for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.